Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Fantasy, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Martin. Today I'm talking with Hester Fox about A Lullaby for Witches, a story about magic, love, and revenge. Augusta is a meek museum curator trapped in a dead-end job and relationship. When an employment offer to become the collections manager at Harlow House changes her life. With new friends and new responsibilities, as well as a new handsome co-worker, Augusta is drawn to investigate the life of Margaret Harlow. Margaret's portrait at Harlow House radiates vivaciousness and warmth, but the historic records barely mention her. Soon, Augusta is obsessed by the secret life story of the mysterious young woman she feels connected to. Was Margaret just a woman unjustly ostracized by Victorian society for her wild nature and her love of herbs? Or is she a more dangerous presence? For although Margaret died more than a hundred years ago, her spirit is still very present and her voice active. A ghost story with a strong romantic element, a lullaby for witches features a tender love story as well as some thrills and chills. So let's welcome Hester to the show, and we're going to start off with a short reading. So I've got Hester on the show today to read from A Lullaby for Witches and then to discuss Margaret. Hi, Gabrielle. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. I'm going to read the prologue from my new book, A Lullaby for Witches. Great. I was beautiful in the summer of 1876. The rocky, timeless coast was an easy place to be beautiful, though. But the fresh salt breeze that brought roses to my cheeks and sun that warmed my long hair, shooting the chestnut brown through with rich veins of copper. It was enough to make me forget, or at least not care, that I was an outsider, a curiosity who left whispers in my wake when I walked through the muddy streets of our coastal town. Do I miss being beautiful? Of course. Was the being found beautiful by others that I missed the most. It was the ambrosia that made an otherwise solitary life bearable. And it was being found beautiful by one man in particular, Jack Price, that I missed the most. He would come to find me out behind my family's house as I helped our maid hang the laundry on the lines or weeded my rocky garden. He always brought me a little gift, whether it was a toffee wrapped in wax paper from his parents' shop or just a little green flower he had picked because it reminded him of my eyes. Something that told me I was special, that those stories around town of him stepping out with a Clerkenwell girl weren't true. There she is, he would say, coming up with his hands in his pockets and crooked grin on his full lips. My lovely wildflower. He called me this, he said, on account of my insistence on going without shoes on warm days when the grass was soft and lush. Whatever little chore I was doing would soon be forgotten as I let him out of sight of the house. My back against a tree and his hands traveling under and up my skirt, we found euphoria in a panting tangle of limbs and hoarsely whispered promises. But like all things, summer came to an end, and autumn swept in with her cruel winds and killing frost. Jack came less and less often, claiming first that it was work at the shop, then that he could no longer be seen with a girl who was rumored to practice witchcraft and worship at the altar of the moon on clear nights. Finally, on a day where the rain fell in icy sheets, and even the screeching cries of the gulls could not compete with the howling wind, I realized he was not coming back. 
time moves differently now. Then it was measured in church bells and birthdays, clock strokes and pound harvest dances. It was measured in the monthly flow of my courses until I stopped coming and my belly grew distended and full. Now, or perhaps it's better to say here, time is a fluid thing, like water that flows in all directions, finding and filling every crack and empty place, like my womb and my heart. I did not want to give the babe up, so I knew it could only bring heartache and pain to my family. A mother's heart is a stubborn thing, and no sooner had I felt the first stirrings of life within me, than I knew I would do anything in the world to protect my little ones. It was folly, I know that now. A woman like me could never hope to bring a child into this cruel world, never hope that the honey-sweet words of a man like Jack Price carried any weight. What irony that I should not realize such simple truths until it was too late. I should not realize them until my blood ran icy in my veins, my broken heart stopped beating, until the man I thought had loved me stood over my body, staring down at the life right out of me like a stream bed running dry, until I was dead and cold and no longer so very beautiful. So that was Margaret's story, the beginning of Margaret's story. And Augusta sees Margaret's portrait in Harlow House. And as we've mentioned, Margaret is very beautiful, used to being admired. And Augusta is drawn to Margaret's story. She has trouble, though, finding out information about Margaret and wonders to herself, How many other women were written out of the history of Tinmouth, domestic servants, enslaved people even, and others who were lost to time completely? So I wondered, you have a background in historical archaeology, Esther. Has this been a particular interest of yours as well? Yeah. um, So I love archaeology because you're working with material culture, with actual artifacts. Um, and as we know, the written record, you know, it, it will exclude a lot of people, especially maybe in the 19th century when a lot of written sources were by men. Um, so when you're working with objects, it's really easy to, you know, let your imagination run wild and wonder who held these objects and who were these people that made them and lived with them. And you get like these domestic objects like, you know, spinning wheels or well, in, in um, Augusta Margaret's case, the portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, things, domestic objects that would have been held by women. So it's really interesting to kind of let your imagination fill in the blanks of, you know, what we don't know about um, these artifacts from a different time. And that's kind of where the story came from. I see. Yes. And uh, as your description of Margaret showed, she seems to be a free spirit, just longing for acceptance and love. She states, how can you hear my story and not feel that I'm worthy of remembrance? So she comes across very sympathetically in the excerpt that you read. But is there a dark side to Margaret as well? Yeah, absolutely there is. Um, And that's kind of something I want to explore, that just because somebody's, you know, lost the history, um, I mean, these are complex individuals, people with, with good and bad in them. And Margaret was a victim of her circumstance, so she felt very wronged that she was forgotten and her story was forgotten. And like you said, that's something we're sympathetic to, and everybody can appreciate that, like the feeling of wanting to be remembered and being angry that you've been forgotten or your story's been erased. Um, And, of course, some of us would go about it different ways, um, but Margaret kind of takes the darker route, and she's looking for revenge. And, you know, she's she's a very dark side, and that's how she handles the situation. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Augusta is not like Margaret. She's meek and unmotivated, actually, for the first half of your story. And we do learn that not only does Margaret want revenge in general, when she wants something, she won't let anyone or anything stand in her way. Do they represent two extremes? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's kind of like a, a switch off, you know, um, without giving too much away of the mm-hmm. plot of the book. But Augusta definitely is, like you said, she's a little meeker. Um, she kind of takes, you know, what what her circumstances give her with her head down. She accepts everything. And then there comes a point um, when she and Margaret, their lives collide. And I'm sorry, my cat. (laughs) But that's great that you have a cat. (laughs) Your name is Hester or your writing name is Hester. So it's kind of a witch-like atmosphere for you. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, so Augusta, she does... um, so she finds her voice, and you know when her account she encounters Margaret, she's up against this very dark, this very powerful person, um, and it kind of, you know, it's kind of fight or flight, and she's forced to kind of find, you know, this power within her, her voice. Um, so while she starts off as definitely, you know, a little meeker, a little quieter, um, she she kind of draws some of that from Margaret. Margaret's power and she uses it to find her own power within her Mm -hmm. because Augusta and Margaret are related ancestrally right so that'll come out more in the book Uh, so everyone who's listening just needs to go buy it and read it but they are related their life choices and reactions are different Uh, Augusta and Margaret though I noticed that they're both influenced by patterns in the lives of their mothers or it seemed that way to me would you agree yeah that's a really interesting point that's something i hadn't you know consciously thought about um i think augusta's storyline definitely her mother plays a very big role um and then yeah i hadn't thought about that but to a certain extent margaret too um you know she wants to be accepted by her family um and there and there's you know, different expectations, especially for a woman of that time that, you know, Margaret has difficulty meeting just because of of her free spirit, as you said. Yeah. And uh, the rest of Margaret's family, I mean, she has issues with her mother. We'll find out more about that. And then Margaret also has two brothers who are close to her, but in different ways. and not equally supportive ways. So tell us a little bit about her two brothers and the roles that they play in Margaret's life. Yeah, so Margaret is the youngest of four, and she has three brothers, but like you said, two of them are she's closer to. Um, and I, I'm i a gothic writer, but like that's my background. I love writing gothic stories, so... Some of the gothic tropes are very dark um, and uncomfortable. And one of the gothic tropes that um, we come across a lot in gothic fiction is incestuous relationships. Mm-hmm. This isn't a graphic. This isn't, um, you know, really out there. But it, it's hinted at. And it's and one of her brothers and Margaret do have a relationship that's not something, you know, we would expect from our brother and sister. And it's kind of, you know, how she navigates that because it's it's not black and white to her. Um so that's a, a big source of tension within her family and her other brothers, you know, more of what we think of, of 
as the loving big brother, somebody she is very close to, but in a more familial way. Um, so she has a lot of tension within her family. Um, her relationships are difficult. And I think that does, um, you know, dictate a lot about how she sees the world and how she kind of, um, you know, interacts with her environment and the and the problems she comes up against, you know, in her love life, because she does have a relationship with a man that's, you know, um, well, again, not to give too much away, but it, that, that has problems too, that relationship, <laughs> and kind of who to turn to within her family, you know, to, to help her with that. And, you know, you have these very fraught relationships with her brother, and they're going to give her very different advice, and she's going to look at it very differently depending on uh, which brother she turns to. Right. So uh, Margaret does have problems because she's a free spirit, but she also sometimes says quite shocking things. For instance, Margaret says something to a woman who's hoping to preserve her ailing daughter's life. Uh, and you can tell us what that is, but how does it, how does that reflect on Margaret's nature? Is she just being honest when she off, makes this rather dark offer to the woman or does it hint at something else? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as the, as the title suggests, Margaret is a witch, and she does practice um, witchcraft, and that ranges from, you know, kind of very mundane things that people might practice today that we think of, like herbal practices, you know, making teas and um, practicing herbal lore. And, but Margaret's witchcraft also skews into the heavier, darker side of things, um, and she's very interested in death and what happens after somebody dies, and if there's a way that... Um, you can bring somebody back from the dead. So when this woman, you know, a woman in town that's heard of Margaret's powers, brings her very sick daughter to her, hoping that Margaret will help, Margaret is honest with her. You know, that she says there, she can help her, but there's there's a price to pay for that kind of magic. Um, and, you know, Margaret doesn't pass judgment, but if you want to, you know, dabble in that dark side of things, you have to be prepared for the price um, and as we know, reading the book, the woman does not like that and her <laughs> offer. Um, but I think, yeah, Margaret has a very pragmatic view of it. Um, she understands what her magic is and what it's capable of, um, and not everybody's going to be, you know, comfortable with that. Yeah, and Margaret is willing to make certain sacrifices to get what she wants, and she assumes the woman might be as well, where she's wrong about that. So, other other than her brothers. She has one friend while she's alive. Uh, do you use the persona of that friend to portray certain truths about the Victorian era? Yeah, so I believe you're talking about Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this takes place in the 1870s um, in the North. Um, so Phoebe is a black woman. Um, there hasn't been slavery in you know Massachusetts for quite some time by the time Phoebe lives here. Um, but Phoebe is a little bit of a mirror that we see, you know, just how, well, obviously racist the society is still mm-hmm. at that time and its place. Um, and, and, and Margaret, you know, Phoebe's probably Margaret's best friend or only friend, really. Um, and, and Margaret doesn't treat her well. Margaret still, you know, she's her friend, but she sees Phoebe as kind of like a, not a means to an end, but, you know, she still uses her for, uh, Phoebe teaches her, like, magic and different lore. Um, 
and it's kind of an uncomfortable realization for Margaret when she realizes what their friendship is built on, that, you know, she hasn't been the friend she thought she was being. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Phoebe, um, and I, I mean, I think, I hope she's an interesting character in her own right. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. She, I think she does hold up a mirror to some of the, uh, you know, the society in 1870s Massachusetts in a coastal town, um, the kind of the small-mindedness and still, you know, she might be a free woman and, you know, in in theory, she's equal on paper, but, you know, that is not how she is treated. And so that way, both she and Margaret are kind of outcasts in the town, but they're kind of dealing with very different um, societal expectations and forces about why they are outcasts. Right. She was written out of the history of Tinmouth even more than uh, Margaret in some ways. Right. So you also comment in your book how easy it was for the past to become gilded, a shimmering memory of what was nothing more than an ugly truth. Do you think that nostalgia can become sentimentality, which obscures harder realities? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm somebody that writes, obviously, historical fiction for a living, so I'm romanticizing it a Mm -hmm. lot history that's why I write it I think it's interesting and I, I do think there's very romantic aspects I love you know the fashion for instance um so this book was a little bit uh of a reckoning for me a little bit um that I had to grapple with you know there are ugly truths um, we know that about history and it's not all going to be you know pretty dresses and kind of the you know the upper class history, which is what we really, you know, romanticize. I think when we look back on the past and we think of beautiful ball, you know, mm-hmm. um, all of that. But there's absolutely a lot more going on there. Um, so it was interesting to write this and kind of be able to peel that back and kind of face that truth. Well, what are you working on these days? So these days, um, I'm taking a little bit of a break from New England, which is where my first four books are set, and I'm moving over to England, um, and I'm writing a gothic uh, fiction that takes place between the interwar years in Yorkshire, um, and it's very gothic with all the tropes. Um, mm-hmm. Yorkshire is like that with moors. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite places. Um, so I'm very excited to set a book here. You know, we have a young heroine that inherits a crumbling estate in Yorkshire and she arrives and there's things that go bump in the night and um, she discovers that her new estate comes with this beautiful library and most of the book is centered around the library and this very dark secret that it holds. Um, So without saying too much more about that, I'm very excited about it. It's definitely a a change of scenery, but it's still got all of the, um, the gothic tropes that I love and that I use in all my other books. Well, how can people um, stay how can I keep up with your work? What's the best way to find you and find updates? Yeah, um, my username is Hester B. Fox, and that is on Twitter, Instagram, and I just am dipping my toe into TikTok. Um, so I would say Twitter, Instagram, I post updates about what I'm working on, um, and I like to connect with readers on there. Um, I also have a website, HesterFox.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter, which I will occasionally remember to send out. Um, but I would say Twitter or Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today, Hester. 
Thank you, Gabrielle. It was really interesting. Thanks for listening to me today on a New Books Network in Fantasy. I've been talking to Hester Fox about her novel, A Lullaby for Witches, a story of magic, love, and revenge. In the upcoming months, I'll be featuring A Justice of Kings by Richard Swan. That's a low fantasy novel about competing political powers and a young woman who is caught in the middle. I'll also feature The Beholden about two sisters who owe a big favor to a goddess. I'm your host, Gabrielle Martin. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more at Gabrielle Author.